Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Brooke McNamara. Brooke is a poet, dance and theater artist, and Zen practitioner. She has taught yoga studies at Naropa University and dance at University of Colorado, Boulder. She has also published two poetry books, Feed Your Vow and Bury the Seed. The topic of this episode is purpose embodiment. We had a look at that topic in the last episode also, but this time we approach it from a somewhat different angle. Brooke's life is a perfect example of someone who has truly followed her calling. In our conversation, we look at Brooke's life story and find important clues concerning how to deal with the fears and obstacles that inevitably arise at some point when we follow the call. So here is my conversation with Brooke McNamara. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, Brooke. Thank you so much, Polly. Yeah. So I would like to start with addressing something that you spoke about in another podcast, um, the Embodiment Podcast with Mark Walsh. Mm. You said something there about that there's a voice often that... um, yeah, a voice that tells you what to do and that it's basically impossible <laughs> to resist that voice. And there may be resistance, but it's kind of impossible to resist the call anyway. Mm. And um, yeah, this is something I imagine that many of our listeners here hear that voice at times mm-hmm. or experience some sense of a call that they're called to something but that there's the resistance is often very hard and even though one hears the voice it's it's sometimes almost impossible to to follow it Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be very interesting to hear about your experience about this since it since you seem to have a somewhat different experience where you just have to follow the call and do it. Mm-hmm. So could you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. I forgot about that conversation, but I when you when you remind me of it I can I feel my heart really strongly, um, which makes me, you know, I don't know where that voice lives. Sometimes it feels like it's coming from above or below or outside of me. But when you just said that, I really feel the space of my heart in my body. And so I wonder if it also lives there. Um, And it's not one voice. It's, I would say it's a, it's a multiplicity. Um, And at this point, I, I've just just recently gotten really comfortable with just how true it is for me that I I do live in conversation with voices and 
beings that are unseen, but very real. And I used to be very secretive and sort of embarrassed about that Hmm. um, because it doesn't align with um, the more rational part of me and and the more, I I think I would call it the more masculine part of me or something more conventional, some part Hmm. of me that wants to fit in with conventional reality. I never wanted to talk about my invisible friends so to speak but it's uh, <laughs> at this point it's I've really come to just own it and celebrate that there there's a, a host of guides and um, you know really magical beings that give me guidance and tell me what to do and so it's taken me I'm 38 it's taken me this long to just be able to celebrate that and I know I know that is true for many people and in some cultures it's just a given that there's a subtle reality around us that is intangible and unseen Mm. but perhaps um at least as real at least as real as the world we can apprehend with our given five senses um so yeah to to speak to how um your question was how do i relate with that guidance or how have I in the past? Yeah, I guess the question was really very open, but um, you can speak about anything that relates to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, it's it's completely inextricably related to the the central topic of this podcast um, in terms of. Uh, life purpose, which um, for me, I would have to say life purposes. And Mm. I've been, I think, really lucky and blessed and and, um, had good karma around life purposes because they came to me as a child and Mm. and are still, still very real. A friend posted on social media recently. She said, what did you all want to be when you grew up? when you were a child. And I said, (laughs) I said, writer, dancer, priestess. And it's not, it hasn't come to be exactly like that, but I'm, I'm an ordained Zen monk and Dharma holder. So there's a real uh, deep pathway in, in that spiritual tradition or contemplative tradition. And I've been Mm. performing since I was four years old and I still still am and and I started writing when I was probably I started writing poetry when I was probably around nine and I still am and those are in mm. terms of calling those are still the most vivid pillars in terms of my work in the world um, and I always wanted to be a mother and that's that's a reality now too and I always wanted one partner one partner that I could go deep with for as long as possible. And that has come to be as well. So I don't know why I was gifted that clarity at a young age of what I wanted to um, grow into. But um, yeah. Yeah. I could say more, but I feel like you you might be about to ask something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, firstly, I just want to say that that is that really is such a blessing, and mm-hmm. in a way, not not so many people get to 
have it that easy with their purpose. Right. Um, I don't think I would need to have this podcast if if it would be like that for us. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, let's see. Yeah, what I'm interested in is like when you hear the call, when this voice or one of these voices says something that you really feel like you need to follow, what what does that look like? Like how, can you tell, say a little bit more about that, how that happens? And what it looks like and feels like. Yeah, definitely. I um, it feels like different things in different moments, but but it feels very visceral. It's definitely for me an, an embodied calling. So um, you know, and, and then <laughs> I'll just qualify that by saying I'm having this memory of. Um, uh, when this happened around my college years and I, I thought that I wanted to go, I grew up in Southern California and I had this dream as a dancer and writer that I wanted to go to college in New York city. So I had this trip planned to go visit Columbia and NYU. And then my mom, I think it was like the page in, in the guidebook to colleges, the page after Columbia was Connecticut college. And they had in, in, in the heading, in the subheading under the name of the college, it said that their strongest departments were dance, English, and study mm. abroad, which were my top interests. And she said, Brooke, look at this school. This might be perfect for you. And I said, oh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> I've never heard of it. And it's not in New York. So, so, you know, maybe we can visit it as a side trip. So I kind of put it on the on the back burner. It wasn't it didn't seem cool enough to me or something like that. <laughs> so we went and visited in New York City and then we went to we drove up to 2 hours to Connecticut to visit Connecticut College. And I remember at the time I was a senior in high school and I was taking an honors class in art history. And there was this statue we had just studied that something about it had really lit up my body. I remember when I studied this sculpture, it was called the Nike of Samothrace or uh, translated to the winged victory. The, um, it's a statue of, of Nike, a winged, winged being with no head and these big wings. And I just something like lit up my body and mind and I fell in love with this statue in this mm. picture in the book. And then when we went to Connecticut College to visit, we parked the car, opened the door, walked out, and a replication of this statue was the first thing I saw. <laughs> when we, <laughs> I looked out at the campus, it was this big green lawn and this statue of the Nike of Samothrace. And I got this like almost this like reverberating feeling in my body where I got a little bit of vertigo. I got a little bit dizzy and wobbly and, I, and just something really spoke to me. And then we went and visited the dance department and this legend of dance history, Dan Wagner was teaching there. He was teaching a class live and he is a very powerful, he danced with um, Martha Graham and Paul Taylor and Merce Cunningham and then had his own company for many years. And he's a brilliant mm -hmm. teacher. 
and um, and I remember the same feeling when I walked in and saw him teaching a dance class. I got this like goosebumpy, wobbly vertigo feeling. And mm. by that point, I think I was 18, but that by that point in my life, I had already learned that I couldn't ignore those signals from, um, in that case, it was outside reality, that statue. It was like these synchronicities, but they registered yeah. in my body as like a, really strong vibration. Um, and I knew that I, mm. at that point, I already knew I couldn't ignore that or I would, you know, get sick eventually or, or have some kind of ignoring those signs would cause dis-ease in my life. So I, by the time I got home from that trip, I said, I want to apply early to Connecticut College. And then I got in and I got a scholarship. So it was the only place I applied. And um, hmm. so that's just the, a, a little anecdote um, for like a, an experience I had outside in where, yeah. where reality is giving me symbols or I'm, mm. or maybe reality is always giving us symbols, but for some reason they were very obvious and I was able to see them very clearly and feel them very viscerally. Um, but more often I think as a child and I would say now in creative process and in, spiritual practice it feels it, maybe it doesn't matter if it comes from the outside in or the inside out but more often it feels like it comes from deep in my body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and there's a sense of relaxation and alignment and sometimes straight up sentences like sometimes i'll have uh, a sentence run through my head and it'll be very random, but, um, I'm trying to think of a concrete example. I can't think of one right now, but sometimes it's lines of poetry or, um, you know, d a, a direction to go or something like that. So it's, I, I guess it's a lot of different ways that information gets in, but I feel like one of my life purposes is, to listen deeply for that guidance. It's kind of a funny yeah. purpose to have, but I, I do feel like listening to be wholeheartedly and, and whole bodiedly receptive is a huge value of mine because there's so much to receive if I just stop pushing and stop thinking too hard. There's usually a lot of guidance and magic and information that's right here if I'm available for it. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, it's really like these things are available for all of us. Like these sort of outer signs, they show up, but often we dismiss them or we we barely notice them um, if we're not open to them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the inner guidance. There can be a part of us that really is wanting to make us aware of a specific direction to go. But if we don't listen, then we won't hear it. Mm -hmm. mm, and yeah... And I guess then the next part is like, okay, so maybe we do notice these things, 
maybe we do hear the information, but we're still hesitant to act on it, and maybe we we don't. Maybe we push it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm also interested in that part. What does it? Well, okay. So there was the example of the of, of the college. Mm, could we find some? other example or if you could just speak a bit more to because even in you I'm, I'm guessing that there are fears often mixed in with the knowing of a specific direction that you need to go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is that correct <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> and totally. how do you how do you hold the fear and how do you deal with that yes absolutely so so I think that's a really rich threshold. Well, a, a just becoming aware and attuned and trusting of the guidance that we're given, whether it's it can be completely ordinary, you know, like a friend, a stranger, a mentor, g- literally giving us guidance, and we might know it's true, but there might be fear, like you said, or it might be more esoteric or mystical, you know, like a dream or something that Mm. comes in meditation or um, just a flash or a a synchronicity like I was describing. But however the guidance comes and however we know that it's, you know, quote unquote, right for us, um, realigning the momentum of of our actions and behaviors and lives to follow that is a huge adventure and um, can and does include excitement all the way to terror, you know, anxiety, excitement, anxiety, fear, trepidation. It can be terrifying. Any of those Mm. things. Sometimes it's really clear and easy and it feels just like, you know, following the flow of a river. And other times Mm. it feels like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to uproot and change my entire life. And, and, um, I can give an example of that, which was, um, you know, well, there's many examples, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but, but just the, the one that's coming to my mind is that again, so I, so I went to Connecticut college and, and I'm so glad I followed that guidance because it was mm. four amazing years where I really let go of a lot of ways I was trying to to be a certain way in in high school. I really kind of let loose in college and let myself be as obsessed and devoted to dance and poetry and partying (laughs) as I was. My my motto in college was work hard, play hard. And I was just either in the dance studio rehearsing in class or writing poetry out in nature or playing with my friends. And I found these incredible um, artistic people who I felt really at home with and could be very weird. I felt like I could bust out of a lot of the um, boxes I had put myself in earlier in life of how I was supposed to show up. And I just played a lot and play has become, I think that's really where I learned to play in the artistic sense and also just identity wise. I let myself be really free and wild and, um, and I was, you know, privileged and lucky and safe enough and had the resources to just be able to focus on um, exploring myself and who am I as an artist and how do I how do I know where to go in creative process including the creative process of 
making myself moment to moment as much as that's possible Mm. of expressing who am I, that creative process in this moment, who am I? Mm. Um, And so that was four years of just incredible growth, play, uh, work. I worked my ass off, um, gained a lot of skills and got deeper into the technique and the art forms I love. And I still had this thing about New York that like, okay, so I went to Connecticut College, I was going to go to New York and finally do that and, and prove that I um, was a real artist. I, I had this idea I couldn't do that anywhere else except New York City. So I, was, I still was really fascinated with that place and what it meant as a dancer and a writer. So as I was getting ready to graduate, I had a plan where I had an apartment with two good friends and I had a dance gig set up. I had a dance job set up and it was all set. But every time I thought about it, I got sick to my stomach. I felt, I felt nauseous. And so I, I finally told my mom and I said, she said, why don't you just come home for the summer and rest and then go to New York. So I did that. I went home and I got a waitressing job and I lived with my mom and I joined a local dance company there in San Diego. And I thought I was taking a break before going to New York. But still, every time I thought about New York, I felt sick. And I didn't know why, because I was, I thought that I was in love with the idea of going there. But then I got an invitation to um, audition with a company, an up and coming company in San Francisco called Levy Dance, that my sister was a Mm. part of. So I thought, okay, I'll go I'll go up to San Francisco and use this as a chance to train and auditioning because that's a really scary thing to do. So I thought I'll get experience auditioning in San Francisco. And so the director sent me a video of their work. And I remember I was in San Diego. I was getting ready for this trip. I put on the DVD of their performance work. And as soon as I started watching their performance, I was, I had, you know, chills a little bit of vertigo. I had tears pouring down my face. And I remember I walked out and I looked at my mom and I said, I want to dance for them. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I want to dance for them. And so I flew up and auditioned and got in and moved within a month. And then I had a six year (laughs) chapter in San Francisco. And And again, that chapter was so rich and so deep and so profound dancing with that company. And I never did go to New York. And I, it's not because I don't think it's a great thing to do, but it's just like my body gave me signals all along the way. Um, but your question was around fear. And I, yeah, the way I just told the story, it sounds really um, flowy. Like there was a lot of flow and there was, mm-hmm. but I also remember huge waves of fear, like literally thinking, this is not how my life is supposed to go. This is wrong. Yeah. This is the wrong direction. I'm, what am I doing? And, and I had to reckon with that. Like the, 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 the feeling of in loveness and, you know, body turned on by this company in San Francisco. And then the thought, this is not my plan. This isn't how it was supposed to go, you know, and how to, how to, you know, make choices when, when there's those conflicting signals. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really requires some courage to walk in a completely different direction than what we had for such a long time thought that we would be going in to completely change. Hmm. Yeah. So what would you say, since these things did come up for you also, so what would you say, hmm, was there any sort of like practice, like uh, inattentional or unintentional, but something that you did that helped you deal with, like the the fear and uh, the yeah, not being sure. In some, I guess, some part of you wasn't sure that what what way would be the right way to go, the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> I didn't, at that point, I didn't have formal meditation training. I had decades of formal artistic training, which um, they have huge overlap. Now I see that. So Mm. um, I would say at that point, I was a pretty wild and (laughs) semi-chaotic, a very like passionate, in love, young artistic energetic being and so I think ultimately it was just the passion was this like roaring river that just took me to San Francisco and those thoughts about New York Mm. essentially just dissolved into that passion um and the fear as well Mm. um Mm. but I I do remember later because then Then I, once I fell in love with living in San Francisco and the people that I met there, I thought, again, I formed this, like this solid thing. Um, and I, I would love to talk about this later, the, the, the difference between mm-hmm. purpose feeling like a solid thing versus purpose feeling like, um, a flowing and evolving thing. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, so I, because I loved San Francisco so much and my community there and what we were up to, I decided I'd be there forever. I just thought, why would I ever leave? How could I ever leave this place and and this community? I was living with my big brother, who's like the best person ever. And, um, and my, and, and I was really, really close with the people in the dance company. We were genuinely like a family. So then um, it was six years later, I had a similar experience of like, you know, people talk about Saturn returns. I don't know if it was like the alignment of the planets. I was 27 or I don't know what, you know, again, where this came from. But suddenly I was completely clear that I needed to leave the dance company, leave my relationship, my intimate relationship at that time, and leave the city. It was like suddenly I knew I had to go and leave all of it. And that that one was really scary. I will say that because I didn't know what was next. I felt really burnt out. I didn't I thought I was gonna quit dancing and the person I thought I was gonna marry, I suddenly realized that that didn't feel like it was supposed to happen. And I thought that if you know, I, I needed to also change locations. Um, and that one was really scary because I wasn't following passion. I was just following a quieter knowing and I didn't know what yeah. was next. I didn't know what was next. And so that mm. one felt 
less like this roaring river of being in love with what was next and more like stepping off a cliff. Um, but at that point I had met my first spiritual teacher, Dorothy Hunt, and I did have, um, a more consciously developed spiritual practice and meditation practice. And I, I knew that I could metabolize fear. I could metabolize fear. I knew that I could, I knew that I could do that. And I knew that I could trust that quieter knowing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in, in Colorado and finding my current Zen teacher, Diane Musho Hamilton and my husband, Rob McNamara. But the whole, the whole way that that unfolded, I never could have planned. And the part of me that thought I had to go to New York city to prove that I was a real artist would look at my life now and just be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's so, so not what I planned. It's so not what I planned, but, um, but again, like I said at the beginning, all of my deep purposes since childhood are still flowering and in more beautiful ways than I could mm. have imagined. So I'm so grateful that I let myself be guided instead of like dictating from a more forceful place what I needed to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We may have this clear plan that should take us to a place that we imagine as something beautiful, but if we just stick to that and don't follow the <clears throat> guidance that wants to take us somewhere else, I mean, the, <clears throat> the, the other place that we may arrive in if we do listen to the guidance may actually be so much better than we could have imagined. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or that's what it sounds like in your example. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of things in in what you just told that I would like to highlight as as good guidance for others who wanna live their purpose more fully. So one thing that I noticed was that when you went to San Francisco first to just um, practice auditioning as you said mm -hmm. um, if you wouldn't have went there you wouldn't have had the experience of what that dance group could offer you and then you may have ended up in New York anyway mm -hmm. uh, possibly so that's just for me an example of how um, trying things out gives you experiences that then guide you on yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, there's a little bit of it was, yeah. direct experience to go off of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we can't figure things out in our minds. That's not how life works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it should, but it's just not how it works. <laughs> All of us would like it to be that way, but <laughs> it would be so much easier. It but... worked like that for anybody so far. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been that way for me. Yeah. At all. Yeah. 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 
But on the other hand, how terribly boring that probably Exactly. Be. <laughs> yeah. I exactly that's what I was thinking. It would be so much so much less exciting. Yeah. Yeah. If we imagine our life as a story, which 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 it is, of course, like if it would be like a um TV series or a book or anything. If it wouldn't have a whole lot of unpredictability, it would be quite a bad story. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember when I first met my teacher, Dorothy Hunt, the first retreat I went on with her. And I remember raising my hand in the middle of her talk or when she asked for questions. And I was so troubled by this desire to know because I think I was just starting to feel this sense that I needed to leave my life as it was and I remember raising my hands and I was raising my hand and I was in tears and and I said I just want to know how the story turns out I cannot figure out what to do I just want to mm. know how it turns out and of course there was no answer or resolution in that moment but I I think just being able to name this like wild like graspy thing in me that just wanted to know so that I could relax kind of helped it to um un ungrasp and unclench a little bit just speaking it into that space um mm -hmm. and and then there was a, a little bit of a sense of more more of like oh how exciting I can't know I actually can't know until I know <laughs> and then I'll know <laughs> um but it went from this this kind of um, ter uh, terrifying, annoying thing to to a more wondrous, a little bit more wondrous. You know, <laughs> I can't know until mm, I do. Yeah. Or or I'll just you know uh, trial and error experiment. I, I feel like my artistic training in writing and dance has given me so much foundation for exactly this this. Um, unfolding process we're talking about of like how how to trust the guidance even when there's fear um it's mm. what it's what artists are doing every day in whatever medium and every human is an artist mm. whether they identify as it or not everyone has a birthright of being a creative being because that's what the universe is and we are expressions of the universe and and so yeah part of my but i feel so blessed to have been trained in my whole life and what I'm now so in love with in my work world is holding space for creative practice for people where it's just like this it's like if we get a signal that we want to paint this certain picture but we're scared to how do we know if we should well sometimes you just try and see what happens and mm. and maybe you hit a dead end or a cul-de-sac or or mm. it feels like a big mistake but then you know then you go in a different direction and 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 we can start to just relax around that a little more and be a little more flexible and know that that we're all grappling in the dark and sometimes there's clarity and sometimes there's not but we can just keep listening and trying and redirecting and it's okay everyone's in that process yeah yeah hmm. yeah yeah i can definitely imagine that it becomes so much more clear when working with creative yeah different forms of creative pursuits 
um, mm -hmm. because things kind of just come to you, right? And then you either trust it or you don't. And if yeah. you don't, it will, well, you may paint something, but it will probably not be so exciting <laughs> yeah. if you don't yeah. follow the deeper impulse. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing that starts to become more and more clear is that um, <clears throat> we can make whatever choice we want, but we start to get the feedback of what's exactly what you just said, that when we follow the deeper impulses or the, or the more vivid guidance, however it comes to us, um, usually in my experience, that's what ends up being a very enlivening piece of poetry or performance or conversation rather than, okay, well, I'm going to choose this route because it feels, you know, whatever, safer, or I thought this is where I was supposed mm. to go. So I'm going to do that. And that's a valid choice. But I think the feedback will probably be that it's less alive. And sometimes that can lead us into, um, you know, bouts of numbness or, or, or worse, depression or something. And I think then we get to have like a, some kind of soul retrieval process where these these parts of ourselves that really want to become known and expressed and alive in the world will they will come knocking again like we can we can avoid them but they'll they'll start to signal again in my experience and and louder and louder until it's like okay I, I guess I will write that poem I guess I will move to that place and even if it's scary it it will if it's a deep impulse and it's a true impulse and we know that and we're brave and we follow it, it will most likely produce incredibly enlivening results. And then we, we feel, we feel that aliveness and others feel it. And then for me, that's when I, that's what I would say is, is the feeling of being on purpose is when I feel that aliveness and alignment and it, it's not easy. Mm. It takes courage. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So if we again go back to your process there with moving from San Francisco, um, what helped you actually go through with that was that there was this sense of trusting in the guidance mm -hmm. um, even though it was scary to follow it but there was a trust mm -hmm. and um, I'm curious about about that trust I mean I think most of us probably have experienced it in to some degree but mm, yeah in a way it, it's it's a practice also of coming back to it and of nourishing it Mm -hmm. mm. you may feel that you need to go in a certain direction and initially there's a sense of trust in that but when all the resistance that is almost guaranteed to show up will arise and grow in intensity it's more and more of a challenge to to keep that trust alive mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah. Yeah, I what I'm feeling right now is just so much compassion for those 
those particular moments that we all experience. And I, I can remember in, in that particular, you know, where this is, uh, it's kind of a lot of storytelling. I'm telling a lot of stories of my life, but I can feel even in this moment, I can feel in my body, the, the memory or the, the resonance of even certain clients and students that I talk to now that are in a similar place of like, I, I know, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, or I know where I'm supposed to be going, or at least I have a strong impulse for the first step, but it's so counter to what my life looks like, or it's so foreign to how I know myself to behave. And so that the, the gravity of the momentum of how things are or how they were versus this, you know, sometimes it's just a tiny little spark. I, I feel such a tenderness <clears throat> in myself right now for, for that moment in us when that little spark, it's like, are we going to, are we going to tend that? Or, or are we going to get swallowed by the momentum of, of consensus reality or of old commitments and 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 again I have compassion for that I don't think it's like we're weak if we do let that spark go out I think sometimes it's just so so um it's such a tender place to be to tend that spark and I can remember when I was leaving San Francisco when I was alone I knew without without any doubt that I needed to go. And then when I was mm. back in my relationships and back in my work, all the pulls would come in. And it was like, why? It was felt blasphemous that I would consider leaving. Why would I do that? Even I would get confused. It was like I was gaslighting my own self. Like, And then again, when I was alone, I could feel the clarity. So what I did, I remember, is I bought a ring and I wasn't Buddhist at the time. I was with a spiritual teacher, but she was non not in a tradition. Um, I am now Buddhist, but I wasn't at the time. But I bought a, a ring with the chant, Om Mani Padme Hum. Hmm. And it was like this ring that you could twist the top and it would like jingle. <laughs> you could, hmm. It was like two pieces set together. And for some reason, I found this ring in a store and I was like, okay, I'm like marrying the knowing that I need to leave this chapter of my life. Mm. And whenever I waver, I'm going to touch this ring and I'm going to, and I'm going to jingle it, you know? And it was like such a small, but tactile thing that I did for myself. And I'm remembering really hard conversations with people that I loved so much in San Francisco and just in tears and there was nothing I could say except I'm so sorry I don't know why I need to do this but I know I need to do it and feeling completely not understood but just jingling that ring jingling jingling and remembering yeah okay I remember I married this knowing I have to I have to stay faithful to this and um mm. you know then in retrospect it's like everybody gets it but in that moment of of breaking out it's really vulnerable and can feel really disorienting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that was actually one practice that you kind of intuitively did there of <clears throat> having something 
that will remind you of your resolve to go through with this, a concrete physical symbol that you always can connect to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's also, yeah, a reminder of that we need support and you kind of, um, that you didn't need that much support it sounds like <laughs> if you if if the ring was enough or maybe you had other people around you that supported you but i'm just mm-hmm. for many most people it probably needs to be other people that support mm-hmm. us in going through with this mm-hmm. often challenging I, mm-hmm. transitions i'm remembering that i did set up a, a um a partnership. I set up a special partnership with my mom because she could really see clearly how it was going to be good for me to leave. And so mm-hmm. she said, she said, you just call me anytime that you're wavering and I'll remind you why it's, it's, you're not bad for leaving, you know, you're not bad, mm-hmm. you know? And so I would, I did call her every day during that period. And she was a huge support of being mm-hmm. a, a mirror of, that knowing so I'm remembering mm. that was incredibly helpful yeah 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 the journey of following one's living one's purpose is really not something that is well for most people not possible to do on one's own right right um, <laughs> yeah that's such a good point it's not like a solo solo heroic thing i mean there's moments of that for sure but it's also definitely about community and relationships yeah certainly certainly and we live in a culture that isn't very soul purpose um supportive right right. so we need to find our people who will actually support that part of us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there was another thing in this story that sticks out to me and it is that things sometimes sometimes we need to let things die Mm -hmm. like you you didn't really know where you were going, but you just had a sense that these things need to die. This relationship needs to die. This mm-hmm. engagement with this dance group needs to die. Mm-hmm. My living here in San Francisco needs to die. Mm-hmm. And what will be born out of the ashes? It's very unclear. Yeah. <laughs> but these things need to go. Yeah, yeah. So often it's that way. It's it's we often we're we're maybe not called to to something, where, but we are called from something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. This is a a big piece of the sometimes I feel like when I, when I share that I teach creative work and I teach it in partnership with my 
Um, well, one of the things that got born out of out of that move was that I ended up after about a year of thinking I was quitting dance. I, I had a moment where all of a sudden I was like, I'm not done dancing. And I ended up <laughs> going back for four years to get my master's in dance at the University of Colorado Boulder. And um, I never would have expected I would have done that. But there I met some incredible people, including my current creative partner, who we've now been collaborating really deeply in performance work. We make um, duet theater dance work. Um, and we also practice Zen together. And she's my um, one of my best friends and, and creative partner. And we teach creative practice based on the, the really magical um, and potent stuff we noticed we were doing in the dance studio when we were making performances. We thought, how can we facilitate this kind of a really vivid process for people of all artistic disciplines, even people who don't identify as artists who want to come in contact with the, the, the river of creativity that's, that's making them and remaking them in every moment. And they want to become more conscious of that and the aliveness of that. Um, but sometimes when we call it creative practice, it, it feels a little bit off because uh, one of the first things we'll always say in a workshop or in the, at the beginning of a series of workshops is, um, is that creative practice for us is also a death practice. That um, creative, to bring anything, to midwife, to usher anything artistic, relational, identity, or, or whatever into form is going to include that birth moment. It's going to include preservation and it's going to include the destruction, the dissolution, the death, because we're, when we're in the realm of form, all things will come and all things will go. And so in that way, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a wholeness practice and it's a realization practice and it's a death practice as much as it is about creativity mm. Um, and so if I had known, if I had been able to apply that to that moment, I think, you know, when I was leaving San Francisco, I think I would have been able to bring some consciousness and perhaps some ritual to allowing those pieces of my life to die, that relationship and that, mm. uh, my time with that company and my time with that amazing city. But instead, what I did was I bare, you know, I jingled my ring, talked to my mom, and then I started, you know, I was like smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I am like, not a smoker. Like I just, I did, I was like, Brooke, you can do anything you want as long as you stay with this promise that you're going to leave. So it's not like I was this perfect little, like, mm. Um, mm. you know, angelic being. I would sit in the dog park and drink beer and smoke cigarettes, which is so out of my character. But I was like, okay, this is <laughs> this is like really beyond my capacity to do. So I'm going to make I'm going to let myself be a little bit of a, you know, I don't know what to call it, but I I would I I would um I was a little messy and I was a little I was I was um allowing some shadow parts of myself to come up so that I could um, somehow cope, you know? Um, mm. but I think if I had the frameworks that, that we work with now in terms of how to bring consciousness and ritual and play to creativity and, and manifestation, preservation and death and dissolution, 
on different levels. I might have been able to leave there a little more gracefully, but oh well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because your example is very inspiring and it's it's also very beautiful to yeah to show the messiness of the process it's messy for all of us all of us and it's messy for you too even though you have this natural it's very natural to you to follow the call but it's still messy oh yeah <laughs> totally yeah and and i mean real creativity is it is messy and that's okay there's I I don't think that like perfectly performed or perfectly preserved or perfectly enacted things are very beautiful I I think the art that moves me most and the people that move me most are are always a little bit messy in an authentic way like we don't have to try to be messy it's it's part of how we grow things come together and then they come apart and that coming apart and coming together can create some whoa wow some Mm. some display of wildness and chaos and and destruction too yeah Mm -hmm. well i feel like there's so much more to explore and i could go for hours here but we need to start wrapping up soon and i would like to make space for at least one of your poems before we do that so would you like to take the opportunity now to read something sure i'd love to um i think that i mentioned earlier there's one point for some reason it feels like wants to be said which is that like i know i haven't heard you speak about purpose in this way that it's like a solid thing but sometimes out in the world I'll hear people talk about finding their purpose as if it is a a single thing or a solid thing or a static thing and mm. um and I just just before I read this poem I want to say that for, that for me it's it's much less than a solid static single thing for me and maybe this is already apparent through my stories but also in this particular moment, it feels like purpose is, is a more like a, uh, a river or a set of rivers or something like uh, an air current, something more like um, subtle, subtle flowing, evolving grooves that mm. I can sort of hook into or allow to emerge from me. But they're, ch- they're changing. Even if they stay relatively the same, they're dynamic unfolding changing evolving for me it's a multiplicity of purposes that interact with and talk to each other and in those interactions and conversations between my purposes uh aliveness more aliveness and more creativity is born um Mm. and also that i if i conceive of myself as a solid single fixed thing looking for a solid single fixed purpose that that also interrupts the aliveness because I am, I am a multiplicity and, and I am not fixed or solid. I'm flowing and unfolding and enfolding and, and dying and being born in every moment. Mm. And so um, there's something about that kind of uh, 
um, buzzing and changing and flowing quality and yet something enduring. Like I am still mm -hmm. dancing. I am still writing. I am still interested in God or awakening or whatever, you know, our deepest nature is. Mm -hmm. Those are enduring things that have my soul yeah. and, and the more I let my soul be a, a, a multiple flowing, <laughs> changing thing, and those purposes be open and flowing, the more um, ease and uh, fullness I find in enacting purpose. Um, yeah. And so I think that to to say all of that actually leads into this this poem, and it's I wrote this after after our first son was born. So there's some stuff about birth, which can be, you know, you can hear that literally, or you can hear that as a metaphor for create creative practice or for contacting purpose. Um, and let's see if there's any more background I want to give. Well, when I wrote it, I had been teaching at the university of Colorado in a dance and popular culture. It was a lecture course about dance and popular culture. And I'd been learning from this um, hip hop guru named Rennie Harris. And I'd been learning about the history of hip hop and, um, and the five branches of hip hop. And mm. um, one of them is graffiti art. And so it starts about graffiti art. I had a dream about mm. being a graffiti artist, but the, the, some people don't know that the fifth limb of or as I learned this, and, and I probably have blind spots, but as I learned it, that the fifth limb of the philosophy of hip-hop is self-knowledge, and it goes back to um, the founder of hip-hop had gone to, to um, study with indigenous elders in, in, I think, southern Africa, and, and brought back this principle of, of knowledge. And so hmm. I had been also contemplating how how that principle in hip hop of knowledge, and it has to do with self-knowledge about ancestry, but also um, just deeply knowing ourselves and our, our deeper registers of, of being. Um, and I'd been contemplating how, how that is, um, how that resonates with the practice of, of Zen. So anyway, I think that, I, I think that birth and creativity and finding purpose and finding giving our purpose um, handrails by there's a lot of mention of vows in this poem. And I finally was mm -hmm. able to, to speak and commit to certain vows in my life that, that give structure and form and relationship and community around my purposes. So you'll hear that in this poem. So there's the self-knowledge from hip hop and, and vows. And I think that's enough introduction the yeah. um the poem is called circumscribe and circumscribe means to circle something um yeah i'll leave it at that so circumscribe mm. i once was a graffiti artist up all night hunting and circling scenes of random beauty i would tag my name underneath circumscribe it was a dream it came from infinity it landed in my marrow it made my bones light 
It reminded me, the last time I died, I was born. Brooke Julia Gasset, October 9th, 1981. And the gap between is the gap happening now. It reminded me, I was born with a vow so central it can't be seen, beating my heart, and my job is to live it to certain death. It reminded me, we must feed our vows with our very own flesh. It reminded me, circle beauty, move bones by moving the gap inside the marrow. It reminded me, it's not all going to be okay, but it already is, but I must make it so. It reminded me of the hours I failed at birthing in the bardo between night and day and how I gave up trying so bewildered by terror and intensity until that thin veil appeared between this world and what's under it, that darkness unfathomably full, and the silent voice sounded everywhere and nowhere. Are you willing to die for this? And I yowled the yes that changes everything while pushing a planet down and out my pelvis and a big bang, different but similar, ripped through my throat with a violent ultraviolet light. It reminded me, there are resources we cannot conceive of and we find them in the asking, if the asking is alive enough to annihilate and reorganize our current selfing for something better at love. It reminded me, I see you bravely meeting what is yours alone to meet. Are you willing to die for this? Feed your vow and eat it and offer it away. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you. Mm. We must feed our vows with our own flesh. Yeah. That speaks a bit to the agony of of walking into the unknown. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Mm. And I also love this. I don't remember exactly what you, exactly the wording, but you said something about uh, it won't be okay. It is already okay, but we must make it so. Yeah. I was considering bringing in the topic of like the purpose and sin, <laughs> and this kind mm. of sums that up nicely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we could have an entire episode of just 
talking about that poem, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So here's some space now if you would like to say a few words about what you offer and how people can find you if they want to contact you and so forth. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm more than ever, I'm really in love with teaching. Um, I, I was teaching uh, in person at universities for a while in Boulder and then and then more just outside the universities. And now during this time of global pandemic, everything's online. And so um, I'm it's one of the silver linings of this really complicated and challenging time is that um, I'm getting to work with amazing people from all over the world. And the two courses that I'm completely in love with and will be offering continuously, um, one is called Summoning the Unseen, Poetry and Meditation to Conjure Deep uh, Support and Inspiration. Um, and there's going to be a second run of that July 24th through October 9th. It's a week, weekly meeting where, where I give some teaching about a theme and then read poetry about that theme. And then uh, we meditate together in real time. So there's meditation practice embedded into the course. And then there's time for everyone to write um, based on prompts that I'm offering or whatever is alive for people. And then we, we share in community in small groups and in the big group um, what's coming up for us around these themes. Some people read their writing and um, it's just incredibly intimate because I think those practices are to write and to sit quietly um, and wholeheartedly bring, bring um, depths to the surface and bring the background to the foreground. So, so we always all get cooked a little bit into our deeper and more subtle parts of ourselves and it's called summoning the unseen because the intention is that we connect to unseen support like I've been talking about in this in this conversation and we also can connect to that which we sense but we're not quite able to say and we give we hover our attention there so that maybe the words come and so people are finding mm. words for for experience or finding words for um, parts of themselves that usually we're, we're so busy and distracted that we kind of skip over the time and subtlety it takes to do that. Um, so I'm really in love with what's happening in that course. And I also have amazing guest teachers come in and, um, we have some really awesome people. In fact, uh, an amazing teacher from Nigeria named Bio Akomolafe just said that he is able to come be a guest teacher next time. So I hope mm -hmm. that if your listeners are interested, it's pay what you can. Um, people, there's a suggested investment, but I'm I'm open to people paying what works for them right now, and, and with this economic instability. Mm. Um, and then I also, like I said, I teach creative practice with my partner Lauren Beal, and those workshops are called Cultivate, and we teach eight week workshop series. Um, I'm not sure when the next one will be, but. All of this can be found at my website, brookmacnamara.com, as well as my two books, Feed Your Vow and Bury the Seed. Great. Okay. So, yeah, I guess we'll need to finish here. So, and for um, 
Yeah, if you want to hear more of uh, Brooks poetry, you can go to the members area on my website and hear a little bit more there. So, Brooke, thank you so much for being on the Life Purpose podcast. You're so welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. We recorded some extra materials afterwards, and you can find that on my website. You can sign up for a free membership and get access to all the bonus materials for all the episodes, as well as other materials such as a purpose discovery meditation. Just go to paulisari.com and find the members area in the menu. In the bonus materials for this episode, Brooke reads a few more of her beautiful poems. If your purpose is calling to you and you would like to make it your priority to find out what your true purpose is, I would be happy to guide you. I am a certified purpose guide and I guide people through a process that we call the Purpose Discovery Program. You can find out more about that on my website, paulisari.com. If you're interested in doing the program, I encourage you to contact me for a free introductory session. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.